I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Welcome to The Discomfort Practice. Today I am here talking to Candice, and this is going to be a treat because we're talking about sectors and areas that we haven't yet covered with any other guests. So I will just go ahead and introduce Candice. She is a multidisciplinary artist and teller of sustainability stories. It's a really fascinating blend. She strives to create work that makes an impact and inspires others to see the world through a different lens. And I've seen her do this a lot. She approaches old ideas with new thinking and her aim is to help shift and build systems that sustain life on earth. Words have always been part of her artistic repertoire and in fact, it is words and not images that inspire most of her creative endeavors. She qualified as a hair and makeup artist 20 years ago in her native South Africa. She's worked in retail and property. She's actually a qualified estate agent in South Africa. At the age of 22, she was selling vacant land but got to travel around Europe as a result. Um, she's worked as a corporate fundraising consultant. She's mainly self-educated and didn't even finish high school, but then I know her history since, and she is very, very self-educated, but also very highly educated, doing things at the Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership, et cetera. And the reason she dropped out of high school was because she just didn't feel challenged. I'm sure some people listening can relate to that, but you just knew there were better ways to learn and acquire skills. So Candice wasn't interested in university, but was interested in investigating and exploring and doing, which is part of why we're friends. We do stuff. So I know your passion has always been in becoming an artist, and that's why that's what you studied. But you wanted to make a living as an artist, which, you know, has its obvious challenges. So you became a makeup artist as a very practical solution. And I know you've worked in fashion and editorial stuff at a very high level, you know a lot of interesting people and a lot of important people. So that diverse background came together to inform Candice's step into setting up a, a new career as a sustainability consultant. And you see the world from a very different perspective as a fellow sustainability consultant. You are a ninja project manager. I've experienced this myself. You're able to create order out of nothing, translate concepts into practical workable solutions and find value in kind of random things. And I know that you managed to pull things together in a very beautiful way. And I say this because Candice has helped me on a couple of occasions with my own, how do I present myself to the world? And I'm always blown away by her, her artistic yet very practical and organized approach. So she's currently working with the beauty industry. She has multiple businesses and consultancies, but also really focused on helping the UK film and TV industry to become more sustainable. So, you know, just a couple of small industries there to try to make more sustainable. So after all of that, hopefully a glorious introduction. Welcome, Candies. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> it's always strange hearing that back, but wow, thank you. Well, you are impressive. And I know that you are a very humble person and you're the last to brag about yourself, which is why we work together. My job is to help Candice brag more about herself and her job is to help me make things pretty and present myself. <laughs> so complimentary skill sets, hopefully. Nice collaboration. I love it. Yeah. And obviously the focus of this podcast is all about discomfort, as you know. So we're going to be talking about getting uncomfortable about beauty, art, mm -hmm. film, 
how the things that make our world beautiful actually can have a really negative impact in the way that they're currently executed and that they're part of systems that are just needing to be reconstructed, deconstructed maybe. So let's dive deep into your knowledge on products and practices that are actually causing harm to the planet and our society. We'll talk maybe a bit about some of the impact that that has and what's led you to finally go big, to go from being a makeup artist and fine artist to a sustainability consultant. Why are you bringing those skills together? So let's talk about why it's okay to be angry <laughs> and why it's time to stop making things that aren't easy, easy for people. I, I think that's both where we are kind of collectively, and I'm really interested in, in talking about your story. So I guess kicking it off, same question for everybody. What is an uncomfortable moment that's changed your life and brought you to this point of being a professional discomfort or the beauty and film world? So there's, there's two. Um, I feel like I can't tell you where I've got to without the backstory. Um, 2006, I sort of made a decision to be present in Cape Town. So I, I used to travel around um, throughout the year because my work was so seasonal back in Cape Town. And I sort of had this ongoing frustration or discomfort that I was like really gaining traction and then I would disappear and flutter off and then I would be like three steps behind my peers and that made me really frustrated because I just felt like I was getting nowhere and as you know me very mm. well I like to get places um and I was like right I'm gonna make this decision I'm gonna be present for a whole year and this was back in 2006 and I kid you not three days later I got a phone call from a woman I really, really respected, a makeup artist I really respected, saying, do you want to come work on Blood Diamond with me for four months? We're going to be in Durban and Mozambique, um, wow. basically away from home for four months. And I, I said yes, because it was an insane opportunity not to say yes to. But what it really sort of did for me was solidify that you had to make a decision to do something and stuff would happen. Mm. Fast forward to 2012 when I sort of came to the UK, which was only meant to be for three months on my seasonal flutter about. And I had the same sort of moment of realization that I needed, if I wanted my career to go where I had envisioned for it, I had to make a decision to stay present. And I had been traveling um, back and forth and thought I could sort of straddle both lands. And I thought, well, I'm going to give London 100% of myself for a year. And if uh -huh. enough doesn't happen, um, I will still be able to go back to South Africa. I'll still have my clients. I won't lose my career. And in that year, Certainly not enough financially happened, but so much happened creatively. And it was the start of my journey into looking at how my working and living practices made no alignment. And I became so acutely aware of living my life as, and I, I, I refer to myself then as a, uh, like being environmentally conscious, but very naively so. Mm -hmm. Um, what does that mean? So what would that mean in practice? Well, in practice, that meant gro growing up my whole life, I've been recycling. I've been growing up in nature. I've really cared about 
the environment. At home, I've used eco cleaning products and being mindful of my water usage from a very young age. But then when it got to my working life as a working makeup artist, there was this lack of alignment. So I wasn't thinking about the disposable consumables I was using. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about what was going into my products. I'd always had a natural affiliation to simpler stuff. I think I'll put it like that because it was, I'd never really thought about the impact of the ingredients, Mm -hmm. but I've been naturally drawn to simple formulations or multi-purpose products for years. But what you call naive is actually, to be honest, how most people live. Most people who think they're environmentally conscious don't dive deeper into how things are made or what the ingredients are in their beauty products. So we're definitely going to get into this because this is going to be uncomfortable listening for probably most people. So that that's the, the uncomfortable moments um, that made me make decisions that although the intended plan didn't um, necessarily happen, so many more positive outcomes came of it. Mm. And And that was one year of being intensely in London and you're still there how many years later? Exactly, eight years later. (laughs) Being present. Wow, that really paid off. (laughs) Well, I guess we can actually just kind of dive straight into, I I do, let's go for it. Let's dive straight into some of the uncomfortable things that you discovered once you decided to go deeper into being aligned and consistent as somebody who was environmentally friendly, environmentally conscious, and then suddenly realized it was very surface level. What, what happened next? How did you go deeper? I started off by switching out all my consumables to, um, at the time, what was available was definitely certified organic cotton pads and um, earbuds that didn't have plastic in the center. So this was back in 2012 when mm. you know, th- these conversations weren't being had. And it was hard to find cotton buds without plastic in the center. It, was. it still and is I, in Spain in 2020. Yeah. But I think this is a very important point, Betsy, because what happens is we can only move as fast as what is available. So if I was still back in South Africa and thinking the way I was thinking at the time, I would not have had access to the products to essentially um, develop my practice the way I did. Mm. So it started with consumables and then I made a sort of deep dive into packaging because that was the sort of next obvious I was like what about all this plastic packaging massive deep dive into that and this is wait this is this is for work as well as your personal stuff right just to clarify for people listening this is as a makeup artist this is as a makeup artist yeah products you were actually using for work so that's quite a lot of product for one thing and at that point there weren't very many people doing that so people didn't expect it and people probably didn't want to pay extra for it because they were like, well, I don't need this. But yeah, I just wanted to make clear that this is as a professional, not just personal. Thank you. Yes, as a professional. Because again, as I said from the start, the way I lived my life was very differently. I, Although I am a makeup artist, I probably have about four items of personal makeup. It's not like I have <laughs> a big makeup kit. Because like you said, right up in the front of your very elaborate introduction, 
my passion is art. It's not necessarily product. Mm -hmm. But going back to the sort of deep dive, I then started learning about uh, organic ingredients. And you've obviously dealt a lot with organic farming from the fashion side of it and the mm -hmm. impact of that. And because environmentalism has always been my base, my jumping off point, I found that a far um, more interesting narrative than just health because people come to certainly professionals and, and general consumers come to this more ecologically sound practice of beauty from health or environment. Those mm. are the two main avenues. And of course, there's some crossover, but I always talk about things we are and aren't prepared to compromise on. And for me, it's always the environment because the reality is any good quality product has to be um, proven safe to be used on skin. So while the long-term effects have things we need to be considerate about, as a professional, I obviously have to make a choice and I always choose environment. Mm. Well, okay, let's go into some of the environmental impacts that people are not aware of. So you're staring at your makeup bag or your cupboard in your bathroom. You're looking at your facial care products, your lipstick. What are the things that people probably don't know about that are a choice that they could make and don't know it was a choice? So I see the conversation around plastic bottles as a big one. And it's, it's a very boring one and I can't believe we're still having this conversation. But there is such a big um, focus on what the packaging a product comes in, but no consideration if the ingredients inside that package contain plastics. So for instance, very rudimentary example, and I'm not in any way discounting the environmental impact of plastic, but if you are using a conditioner that comes in a lovely aluminium or glass or whatever type of packaging, and it is filled with silicones and dimethicones, and, and you, that is a rinse off product that is going down the drain into our water systems. And we're not having that conversation. It's just mm -hmm. the very surface level base. It's in a plastic container. And those are the things I think we are not yet diving deep enough into well and then there are other things like what makes things sparkly and uh, the ingredients this is my this is kind of my favorite topic because you know my motivation is usually social impact yes. so there is a lot to this particular ingredient so do you want to just dive into that one mica yep <laughs> so mica is used in mm, all cosmetic products that are going to re require any type of sparkle or iridescence. And so that's lipsticks, toner, well, not toner, lipsticks, uh, eyeshadows, foundations, blushes. Yeah. Um, it, it really sort of factors a lot in color cosmetics rather than skincare. Mm -hmm. That being said, when we're getting these crossover products, um, you might have a little bit of mica in it. So it, it gives like you that sparkle. moisturizer or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and mica is a natural, uh, well, you can actually have it synthetic, but it is a naturally sourced mineral. And very often, um, or not very, there, there is an enormous amount of mica coming from regions in India and other parts of the world that are have high possibility of um, 
oh, the, the words escape me, exploitative child labor. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, think, just flat out child labor. I don't even think we have to use the word exploitative. Like, well, child labor is pretty horrifying. Child Paid. labor is horrifying, but I'm differentiating the exploitative mm-hmm. because it, it's very easy for us in the West to say child labor is bad, but if we are not having the bigger conversation as to w- what level of labor fits in, yeah. I, I think it's important to differentiate that and not just, you know, me and about blanketing words. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as long as we're deep diving, we might as well, because when I ran the National Fair Trade Body in Scotland, I I visited, say, tea producers and coffee producers and, and different African farmers and producers. And you, you start to understand that there's child labor where kids are off school and they're helping their parents in the fields over the holidays. And then there's child labor where children are trafficked into cocoa farming in Ghana from Ivory Coast or other countries. And it's forced labor and unsafe conditions and they're not going to school. So yeah, child labor is not acceptable, but understanding the economic reasons behind it, if you just stop buying things because they use child labor and boycott an entire system, there are families who rely on that to eat. So how do we fix the system so that we're still supporting those people out of poverty so that they actually have access to dignity because they can work without exploiting anyone? See, being an ethical consumer is so difficult, but so privileged that we get to grapple with these issues. You know, we get to make a choice. We're not just stuck working for a dollar a day on the other end of the supply chain. So yeah, there you go. My bugbear came out fast. Okay, Micah. (laughs) Micah. Um, And there's this easy perception that a natural or organic brand is sustainable. And I'm sure we're going to get to this word sustainable at some point. Uh, And it's not a guarantee. You know, smaller brands, if we are not able to look at the supply chain and see the potential risks, there's no opportunity to address them for small brands. And obviously finance, Um, becomes an issue for smaller brands, access to be able to really deep dive into these supply chains. And I think that's where there is a risk with natural and organic brands and the marketing that's going around and sort of growth in it without a bigger, deeper dive and asking these brands who really front themselves as they, they really think they are sustainable, but do not mm. understand the greater context. Because as you know, social impact is a very big thing for me in my work, but my stepping off point has always been environmental. But I, you know, my growth in the space is very much, is the alignment of the three pillars of sustainability. Well, and that's a lot of the work that you're doing right now, isn't it? Where you are diving into giving trainings to leaders in the beauty industry, to independent eco and, you know, sort of ethical brands in the beauty space. But yeah, I think this is one where the message that I know, I know you well enough that this would be a message we're aligned on. We're not trying to punch our allies. We're celebrating that people are trying to do something better, but also recognizing that there's a lot of work to be done in expanding the view of what sustainability actually is. Because often, you know, you talk about things that are in the right packaging, but contain, can well, contain ingredients that aren't actually going to have a good environmental impact, the complexity of that. And then on top of that, the social impact of things like mica or child labor or um, 
Oh my gosh, the sourcing of certain ingredients. You can be environmentally friendly, but still be exploiting people in your supply chain. So you're trying to help people have a holistic view of sustainability, right? That is social, environmental, and economical, because in order to be sustainable as a brand, well, and as a human in this society where we need cash, we have to make sure that we are economically sustainable. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, I think one of the other things, again, is going back to these social impacts is the the growth of exotic ingredients. It's this big marketing sale, but where are those exotic ingredients coming from? What are the practices? What communities are they taking away food and medicine from in having them in our beauty products? So while we are using these beauty products and these exotic ingredients to make ourselves feel and look better, what are the unforeseen impacts and how beautiful is that really? Mm. And we do have, it's so interesting to be having this discussion because the fact that we get to talk about beauty products and use them is a privilege. You know, we're actually able to think, oh, it's my favorite lipstick and I have a collection. What's in them rather than just, we're actually in a position that is about just surviving day to day or just working and beauty is a luxury and beauty is a luxury. So recognizing that as whoever's listening to this, um, we are privileged. So it is our privilege, hopefully, to do something with that privilege. And that means looking deeper. So we're getting uncomfortable, hopefully. Let's get even more uncomfortable, but let's make it personal. (laughs) (laughs) What's your discomfort practice? Like, what do you do on a regular basis to challenge your own comfort zone? Because I know you study lots. You're always learning. You're somebody I look to as a great source of information. But what's making you uncomfortable right now? I, I have to admit, I'm not very good at doing anything routinely, except <laughs> getting up really early because I can't help it and having a cup of coffee. But as you know me and this drive to constantly move forward and learn and expand and engage. I think my discomfort practice, if I had to put a label on it, would be to nap at 10 o'clock in the morning and just rest um, and be okay with it. I'm quite okay with just resting because my ambition for movement only happens when I rest, it's like this bubbling broth of things that are going on in my brain. And then all of a sudden, I I almost need to bore myself to death to be able to continue with all the stuff I want to do. (laughs) Oh, I love that because obviously there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who probably also work in creating discomfort in the world, who also want to create positive impacts, who are looking at their the way they consume and the impact of it. But that's a great way to put it, that taking a step back is part of the discomfort practice, which actually in my last solo episode, I talked about, about stepping back and nurturing yourself and recognizing that that's part of, you're an edge walker. Like you're always on the edge. And a lot of people probably listening to this are, they're always seeking to create change, but it's uncomfortable to stop, isn't it? Do you feel like oh my gosh, if I'm not constantly driving at this, I'm missing my purpose in life. I'm missing opportunities to, to make something happen. Or like, what is so uncomfortable about taking a nap at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday? Or I think, I, I think it's the perception of taking a nap at 10 a.m. in the morning rather than actually how I personally feel about it. Um, 
and recent because there is there is that level of imposter syndrome that comes from shifting careers in your late 30s and not having a formal education i am really proud of not having a formal education and everything that i've achieved but it does come with feeling to myself i need to do so much extra improve myself so much more and do i fit into I feel like I'm always the sand falling through the gaps mm. of industries and sectors because I operate in two zones. I am either so far ahead, nobody knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> or yep. I'm so far behind, I, I'm struggling to catch up with things. Oh, wow. That gives me such a great insight into you because I've been watching you developing these brilliant trainings and really pushing for leadership and change from the top at the film and TV industry level and in the beauty industry. And finally, people are starting to catch up with what you're saying. But it's interesting to to realize that you also feel like you can't rest. You're always trying to catch up, right? Or you're trying to bring people along to the point at which you well, are trying to get them to change. So, oh, okay, that was an interesting insight into you and why a nap at 10 in the morning is uncomfortable for you yeah Hmm. it's it's um but I also think it's really important I mean I would champion any like I would encourage anybody to have a nap at 10 a.m in the morning if they're tired and work with your own cycle so I think my discomfort is less about having a nap and about always needing to push forward and very recently I I kind of have rethought about my personal strategy for impact and if I can make one person see think or feel differently I've done my job like because I I think it's so easy to go big we've got to impact thousands of people to make an impact and I've just roped it in because I'm juggling so many different ideas and it's because my brain literally does not switch off I can't focus on one thing my I'm trying a new approach one person at a time Mm. bird by bird and the amazing words of Anne Lamott I love that you know 2020 I was actually saying this to a friend yesterday the forced stillness of 2020 has taught me to be myself in a way that I never have been before because I've always been like that you know we're all trying to change the world thousands of people at a time to have a big impact to to beat ourselves up when we stop and take our foot off the gas. But actually that stillness taught me that doing things that bring me joy create something bigger in the world. So that gives me the energy that draws people to my work. That gives me an energy that infuses what I do with a sense of something different than just writing a campaign strategy and pushing it out there and going big. And it's, it'll be interesting to see another year or who knows when, what happens as a result of all the stillness that's been imposed on many of us, most of us this year. What have we learned in the stillness? What energy has come out of the stillness that we wouldn't have gotten if we just kept going at our Tasmanian devil speed? You know, constantly whirling, thinking we were busy and impactful, but actually, what's the impact of taking time to be still? Yeah, I, I think it's in the stillness that we find the core message and really regain the the energy to move forward and and as i said a moment ago i actually find it a boredom it's like i've got to bore myself 
to act. I love that. It's like, so if you pictured us as like um, X-Men, it's sort of yours is you get bored and then you start throwing lightning bolts. Mine is in that stillness. I've realized this year how angry I am about systems that need to break. So what do you think of, say, we were talking about this the other day, by 2030, there's a brand that said by 2030, they're going to pay their suppliers a fair wage. But if you know anything about climate change reports and trends in the world, by 2030, A, those people will probably not be working anymore. Their children will be working. Their children will have not gotten an education 10 years down the road of their parents not being paid a fair wage. And climate change is pressing. We're, you know, saying by 2030, if we don't turn this around, things are really going to go downhill fast. So these brands are saying things like by 2030, we'll pay our suppliers a fair wage. By 2030, we'll be carbon neutral. Sorry, not good enough. What do you think? Well, I think it's not good enough. I think that big brands in the beauty industry um, and and across the board, but let's just keep it focused for now, um, who are doing projections like that are engaging in greenwashing. Um, Yeah, and 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 it's increasingly the ones that we've celebrated as good too. Like they're just doing the same thing. They've always done of doing that 10-year projection and just like, sorry, no, this this model of long-term projections is no longer relevant. But it's also, you know, the bigger brands have the money right now. We've seen it in the fashion. They have the money right now to invest in their people, in their supply chain. That is not like, by all means, there's certain things that need a step-by-step strategy to reduce. Um, Carbon emissions being one of them, turning that sort of proverbial ship does take time, but paying your supply chain a living wage now is inexcusable not to even be talking about it. It's, it makes no sense. And it does not allow for continued, sustained, sustainable business growth because mm-hmm. you're not going to have the people by paying them now. They can feed themselves. They can improve their children's education. They can take care of the land where you're getting your ingredients from they can but not investing in them now is actually incredibly short-sighted well and it also just calls out that very blinkered view of what sustainability is as just environmental like I still get peeved when people hear that I work in sustainability and assume that that's just environmental which I know is sort of like well that's the common knowledge. It's just, no, no. That's why I called my book what I call my book, Communicating Social and Environmental Issues Effectively. Because how can you think it's it's sustainable if people in your supply chain live in abject poverty, which affects their communities, which affects their future, which affects their education and their children? And yeah, it blows my mind. I like this. This, this is fun getting angry. It might be uncomfortable for some people, but this is this is my comfort zone, being sort of riled up about something and thinking, nah, this, there's a point to this, though. We're not just angry. We're going to do something about it, right? And my, as you know, all too well, Betty, my thing is like, we cannot, I think it is irresponsible in no uncertain mincing my words terms to talk about sustainability from any one angle. We have to be using that term as a whole definition that addresses all three of those well-known pillars that sort of somewhere slot into sustainability, depending Mm. on who's talking about it. Because 
now more than ever, using this term is de it's degrading the actual momentum we need if we cannot be talking about all these different strings in one word. Yeah, and I've been saying for a long time, all the cool kids now work in innovation. We don't talk about working in sustainability anymore. It's innovation because it's about creating new ways of doing and thinking and being and buying. And that's innovative. So don't put me in the sustainability ghetto where we just are the first team to get fired when there's a recession. You know, like that's not okay. Which kind of brings me to what I wanted to talk about. How do we praise the good stuff that is happening while calling out the BS while calling out the greenwashing, while pushing brands that could do more to do more businesses, governments, everybody, and, and individuals as consumers who also have power. We have a voice. We have collective impact. How do we praise the good stuff, call out the BS and push? I, well, I think that's exactly it. We praise the good stuff, acknowledge what you are doing right. But if I'm going to keep investing my money and time and belief in you you've got to do better in these areas mm. I think it's and, as simple as that Ooh, simple as dangerous word because <laughs> these it things is. are so complex and sort of the received wisdom from people who work in sustainability particularly like behavior change or people who work in humanitarian aid all of this stuff is interconnected sort of the perceived wisdom has always been oh don't push people too hard you have to make it easy for people but we're beyond that point. None of this stuff is easy anymore. If we keep making easy choices, we're going to easy choice our way into major global warming, uh, more pff, famine, forced migration. It's not going to look good. So we can keep doing it the easy way. And it's just like whistling your way off the edge of a cliff of collective humanity. Or we can face the fact that this stuff it's time, it's time to get down to the hard stuff. It's time to start making choices that are uncomfortable, that we don't want to make, that we stop eating meat or we eat way less meat, that we pressure our friends to make choices that they don't want to make, that we ask people where their clothes were made, that we demand governments and brands do better and we stop buying from them when they don't. Like, what, what do you add to that list? What would you like to add? I think we do have to, I mean, I don't really have much more to add because you've covered so many, but I think we do need to acknowledge um, what is going right. I fundamentally believe we need to acknowledge, but it cannot be without questioning and calling out the missing gaps. And, and I think because, especially now with cancel culture being so prevalent, we as consumers have a responsibility to dig deeper. We really, really fundamentally do. And we also have to acknowledge that everything we do, everything we use has an impact. There's this sustainability again. I hate the word. I mean, I very, very, <laughs> so very do I. hate the word. But for context, I think we have to remember that this, the system we are in is sustainable development. It's continued growth. And we need to be mindful that the way we use it and the way we practice conscious consumerism and all this other stuff is not just sustaining what we have now. 
it's really about and and this comes from Donella Meadows who I've told you about recently who I'm just mm. sort of obsessed with and I think it's a it's so pertinent we need to find ways to foment a revolution and oh, yeah not just get stuck in this loop of I'm using something eco-friendly sorry that was a really weird voice but <laughs> <laughs> I'm using something eco-friendly there we go yeah. Thank you. Um, but actually really considered stuff because what's eco-friendly here is not necessarily sustainable in another part of the world. I use places where water, um, water shortages as an example, you know, using lovely rinse off product is great. But if you do not have access to water, it's not a sustainable product to sell somebody. Yeah. Or when you think about... Mm, you buy something that's organic and ethical and bloody, bloody, blah, but actually in order to scale an organic supply of a certain ingredient, there simply isn't going to be a positive impact on the environment. It would actually take too much out of nature. So actually making maybe a synthetic version of it is more sustainable in the long term. So exactly. there is no easy way to grapple with this stuff. But I think I also want anybody who's listening to this, and we just said foment a revolution, if that made you nervous, I think uh, let's pad that a little bit because everybody can be part of fomenting a revolution and you don't have to be a revolutionary. You can be an accountant. You can be uh, someone who just sweeps the street, but it's an attitude and it's a perspective and it is always seeking, I guess, yes, and it's sort of an old improv technique or you take something and it's yes, and rather than no, stop, it's yes. And OK, this is the way I live my life. I've thought about this one thing. So what's next? But also I've always whenever I've I've worked with politicians or business leaders, just remember that they're people, too. I mean, they are individuals. They have families. They are consumers, which I don't like that term because it kind of reduces us to people who consume stuff, but they're not just these heartless, faceless people at the head of these, you know, sort of monolithic corporations or governments. They also can be ethical consumers and that can impact the way that they lead and they set strategy and the way they speak to the world. So everyone has a role to play in this and just being you as an individual is the first place to start because where else do you have influence, right? Absolutely. Spheres of influence. It, it's also that thing of if you can inspire, and I use that word very consideredly, if you can inspire one other person to consider why or how or where their product is coming from and how that impacts themselves and even just their immediate community to start with, that is making an impact because that one person then's like, wow, this person has spoken to me in a, a language I understand mm -hmm. and I can compute it and I can take it on and I can, it, it fits into my story about how I want to see the world. And I think that's, we have agency. It's so easy to feel that we cannot move forward because we don't have agency and the problems are too big. But bird by bird, I don't know if you've read the book by Anne Lamott. No, I've heard of it. Anne Lamott is definitely a ninja. We love her. She, it, it just makes so much sense to me. 
one foot in front of the other, one step. But even when we are feeling hopeless, we have to keep trying. I think that's our responsibility mm. as human beings on this planet. I love this. This goes straight back to your storytelling approach. You're a gifted storyteller, and that is part of your your approach, your methodology in what you do as a sustainability advisor. But I guess that kind of makes me think, if we each were thinking about what's the storyline of my life, what's the story of my life, maybe looking for the things that don't align, the things that you wouldn't really want to be part of your story, those are the things to tend to. Those are the things to work on, where maybe it is down to the impact of something that you buy, or maybe it's about you're not very conscious about the things you do every day or a certain habit or a certain, you know, where you buy your coffee or whatever. But just if we started to sort of mind our stories a bit, it's a really gentle and nice way to be like, ooh, minding the alignment of all the pieces of my life because I want them to be an interesting story that I'm proud of. Yeah, maybe that's it. What, what Get uncomfortable. Is- what is the story you're going to tell your grandchildren when they're sitting at the, the foot of your bed? What is the story that you have left on the world? And I, mm. you know, our brains are designed to comprehend stories more than facts. It's, it's literally how we have evolved through time and why story is so important when we are having these big conversations Mm, I love that. I'm working with the Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership right now um, with the students of this course on communications and leadership. And it's so much about how to influence, how to storytelling was the module they were doing this week. And the ability to influence people by making it personal, Mm -hmm. by drawing on your personal life, by putting yourself in their shoes Storytelling is a really beautiful way of just going through life, I think, and trying to get anything done, but it's also just a nice way to live. And it's part of so many cultures. Um, let's let's kind of dive into maybe the story of your, your foray into the film and TV industry. You're just sort of starting to expand your offer into the film and TV industry because it is, mm, I'll leave it to you to talk about the impact, the current impact on environment and society and mental health of people who work in it but yeah what's what's the story there how is it currently and what could it look like instead gosh i you know i've been doing as you mentioned i've been doing these workshops with film industry departments um and really trying to give them agency because what's coming out of the research that I've been doing is that a most people in the film industry understand sustainability as we've already said only as green initiatives so there is no consideration for even the health and well-being of the immediate cast and crew on that set and we are seeing this as an impact in mental health so the particularly the UK I'm only speaking to the UK because that's where my um, research has been focused is it has one of the highest mental health and depression rates across UK society. It's like something like 85%, whereas the rest of the UK population is 65%. So there's a big discrepancy there. Wow. And it's this forgetting that th- this layer of people, of crew, like the talent and the storytellers and the makers 
are part of the sustainability narrative. Our films will not be made if we do not have the people and we do not have the landscapes and environment, not only to film in, but to tell stories about. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah. So the the expansion of the understanding of what sustainability is, is crucial. It's critical to some people's actual lives and well-being. And so you're basically working with, what is it, lighting crew, camera crew, costuming, makeup, etc. right? I would love to get into all the different departments because while I think that we have to come together and start working more collectively until each department really feels spoken to and heard, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's vital that we can go- breathe. Just like if you think about a breathing orb, that we can actually move from the big to the small. We have to know the minutiae detail in order to look at the bigger picture and vice versa. So for me to go and have a conversation with, um, I use this word lightly, technical crew, because I do think that the more creative art side has a very technical element. Mm-hmm. But if we are talking to um, on a surface level technical crew, such as camera or lighting, they have no understanding, real understanding of what goes on in costume or in hair and makeup department. But there's also nuances that are irrelevant to the others. So my focus is to drill down so we can work together. Mm. Wow. So kind of breaking people out of silos because they're very gifted specialists, but they don't have an overview of how they have collective impact as well, which makes it impossible to address. So what is the vision? What is your vision for the UK film and TV industry when it comes to having a more sustainable impact? Because we know, okay, just the tick list, right? You could talk about like the energy usage, the food waste from sets, the obviously the mental health impact of long, intense hours, and everyone's a freelancer. So they kind of just have to go for it until they kind of drop, burn out, really. So yeah, what's what's the unsustainability of it right now? And what's the vision for how it could be? For me, a vision of how it could be is that all these things, which are being worked on a little bit too slowly and very siloedly. Hmm. I think siloedly is a new word, by the way. Good job. (laughs) Siloedly. Yeah, got it. In siloed. um, (laughs) Is really just to be able to tell stories that inspire. So for me, it would be being able to turn away scripts that do not align to my values. Like Mm. that for me is what the ultimate sustainability sustainable filmmaking is because what that means is not only with the practice of how that film is being made need to be considered not only how the immediate community and the wider communities associated to that film would need to be considered not only am I able to put a roof over my head and food on my table but my legacy is not entwined with stories that go against my belief system of every cell in my body wow i imagine there would be a lot of artistic pushback on that too because you know there's the idea that maybe art should make us uncomfortable or or entertainment doesn't need to be you know aligned with my personal values as a producer or whatever but that is 
challenging definitely uncomfortable it doesn't have to only be positive stories but like if we are making a a story about if we're making a film about let's get super controversial and call it human trafficking Hmm. these stories need to be told but they need to be told with with honor and integrity and transparency and highlighting stuff rather than it being a sales pitch to sell a film and call it a thriller Mm, okay that's really succinctly put I think I got my head around that hopefully other people have so then yeah okay the the vision is they have positive environmental social impact but that's a much bigger one of the industry as sort of a leader of reflecting positive values or values that actually protect society make society better wow you know i've got big visions yeah, you always <laughs> do and actually then you go for it and i'm always amazed by what you achieve like candy's has been doing trainings with the beauty industry and is now just plunging in and of course has secured lots of trainings with the film and tv industry and is having really really good success with it feedback from cast and crew and leadership who are like wow this is useful we thought this was going to be hard and beyond people but actually this is exciting which is exciting. People are hungry for this stuff and people really do want to live in alignment with their own values at work. But a lot of people just didn't know it was possible, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Think further than their nose. I challenge anybody to think further than your nose. Which might bring us nicely into, we've got a few minutes left, the beautiful art of letting go. So I, you gifted me a beautiful art of letting go session for my birthday in March. Um, and we did it in the spring lockdown. So I was in my bedroom feeling a little bit mopey because bedrooms that are bedrooms, birthdays this year have sucked, right? <laughs> I think everybody who's had a birthday in lockdown or semi-lockdown is like, can I have this year back? But um, I had a beautiful time and it was a really, it was a really unique experience for me. So just tell us about the beautiful art of letting go. Well, that is a discomfort practice. <laughs> yeah. So the beautiful art of letting go is a, a mindfulness art class where you become the masterpiece. It is about letting go of preconceived ideas of perfection. It's a space to just have a conversation around beauty as a wider context in terms of now, what what are our beauty habits, both in the products we choose, but also why do we wear makeup or don't wear makeup? Was it something somebody said that made us feel less than mm. without um, taking care of our physical appearance? And it's there's no right or wrong. It's just holding that space to have that conversation. So we make more informed choices or just are more mindful of our beauty practices um both the physical application of beauty but also the products we choose to use Mm. yeah because I showed up you were like okay bring your makeup so I just brought my my makeup I don't wear much but it turns out I've got some good interesting things lying around I've got a lot of lip pencils those came in handy but yeah the process of it was really I I saw myself differently. I saw myself as a piece of art and you encouraged me at the end to like take a million selfies, which I did. And it was just so interesting to look at myself from different angles, but also it was, I think, 
you say it in your session, I don't want to give, a, give away how it goes, but just it truly changes your lens of how you see yourself. And, and we are all quite limited in how we view ourselves. Quite literally, we, we can't see ourselves the way other people see, ourselves, see us. Yep. So yeah, it gave me this beautiful, very freeing perspective. And it had a real emotional impact. Like I had an emotional reaction to it that surprised me, to be frank. Because I was just like, I'm not, I've never considered myself a girly girl. I'm not into makeup and blah, blah, blah. You know, I didn't wear pink till I was 18 and I basically only wear lipstick. But it was just so much more than, it wasn't about makeup. It wasn't about beauty. It was about how we perceive ourselves and how we see beauty. So Candice has very graciously given us a discount code for listeners of the discomfort practice. And that will be in the show notes and you can book a session of beautiful art of letting go with her. So all that information will be in the show notes, but I would love to share that with the world because it was just, it was, it was an uncomfortable experience that really took me someplace new. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't expect that. So thank you again for that. And yeah, I think we've kind of covered everything. I mean, beauty, film and TV, <laughs> storytelling. And well, I guess last but not least, it's how to label you, how to label people like us. And your work with me this year has been actually about helping me to rebrand and represent myself to the world in a way that is very authentic to me, but doesn't limit me because I am lots of things. And so are you. And it's difficult when a client or a recruiter or someone in your life wants to have a simple box for you because it just fits more neatly into the systems in which we currently function. So what's your reaction to labels and to when somebody asks you what you are? Because I know you just kind of go, oh, this is tiring. But what do you do with labels as a very, very complex, multidimensional person? How do you describe yourself? Labels make me feel very uncomfortable, like incredibly uncomfortable, um, because I feel that they are limiting, um, mm. self-limiting beliefs, but also if somebody else puts me in a box, you, you know, I, somebody might say, you are this, and I don't necessarily see myself as X. I see myself as B, D, F, and Y. <laughs> you seeing it as x <laughs> yeah um i i'm i've really struggled to give myself a title on my email signature and i think that's why i've just sort of settled on multidisciplinary artist and teller of sustainability stories because that's the only way that i can surmise what the overarching effect I want to have with my work is um, rather than saying sustainability consultant or strategist or because I don't know yet exactly what I do. So to define it becomes for me and the way my brain works really limiting. Yeah, but it's a, a conversation starter. I think maybe other people can can relate to this, particularly if you're an entrepreneur doing something that's maybe hard to pin down or you do lots of things, you know, you're sort of, you're not defined your, by your career. So you have a job title and then you have a side hustle or you're a parent and a, lots of everything else. But what's the, what's the descriptor that allows you to have further conversations, I guess is what we've come to. 
Well, our time is coming to an end, but if anybody wants to see Candice's beautiful creative work, you can look at my website, which she created and designed for me, and I'm so happy with it. Each page has a mood board that's a reflection of that aspect of me, so it's very multifaceted, and I'm just absolutely tickled with it. Um, she runs a creative agency called Vuja Day Creative, which I love that name. So love that name. All of your information will be in the show notes. So if you want to check out Candice's work and if you want to book yourself the beautiful art of letting go, use that discount code. And I really am so happy to have had you on today, Candice. You're always such a treat to speak to. And I just am fascinated by all of your facets because I watch you make impact in a very different way than I would. And I absolutely love that because it makes me see things differently. It makes me think differently. And I always learn something from you. So thank you for being on today. And thank you for being my friend. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you in the world. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I feel like we could talk for ages. Um, there's so many big conversations. It's been an absolute delight. And yeah, thank you for just all your support and encouragement and everything you're doing. It's It's nice to find somebody to respect and look to for guidance, which is not always easy in this crazy mixed up world. Well, let's go foment our beautiful revolution, shall we? Yes. <laughs> Everyone else is welcome to join us. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts and head over to the Discomfort Practice Patreon page. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can become a contributor and help us to produce this podcast and reach new people with the idea that discomfort is just the edge of change, the edge of our superpowers, and the edge of changing the world for the better. Thanks to my wonderful team who helped me produce this podcast, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, Katrina Affleck for the original artwork, and to my co-producer Spencer Rausch. Let's all stay uncomfortable.